0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. George Grant. He's pastor of Parish Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, Dr. Grant, it's an honor to have you on with us today.
1: Well, thank you. It's a great delight, uh, always, to be with you, Dan. I'm so delighted we were able to squeeze this in.
0: You do so many things. There's a long list. People can go online at parishpress.org and read under leadership and see all the things that you've been associated with. But I think a lot of our listeners already kind of know you. So let's talk about something today that really came from a lecture that you gave a little while ago. Perhaps I could characterize it as uh, the roots of our cultural moment lie rather deep, and they're related to cultural Marxism and all that went before. And so maybe we could talk about that for 10 or 15 minutes here, and uh, possibly, I don't even know where to start, but I think you will.
1: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I had the opportunity to sit down with a number of business leaders, uh, educators, moms and dads uh, in our community in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, several months ago and it was a time of of ongoing and deep distress following 2020 and COVID, the uh r- radicalization of american politics the polarization of the media and all of that and of course the, the question on everyone's mind is what on earth is going on where did this come from <laughs> how did this happen and what do we do so i did a couple of talks, and, and they were really more like uh, town hall meetings, because there was a lot of conversation back and forth. Uh, we later edited it and made it available as a podcast, and folks can get those original lectures at georgegrant.net. But essentially what I wanted to say to folks is, first of all, none of this should catch us by surprise. Mm. All of this has been coming for a very long time. Everything that we're seeing has actually been strategically laid out for more than a century by those who had a very clear agenda and set out to achieve it in incremental steps. And they, they did this, in a sense, by borrowing the essential principles of the kingdom of God. Yes. And essentially, what they did was they, they looked at the model of discipleship and gradual cultural change, uh, the work of reformation in a society, and while they uh, despised the gospel and despised the principles of the of the kingdom, they, they saw that their approach thus far, revolution, uh, barricades in the streets, uh, you know, the, the attempts of the French Revolution uh, at the Napoleonic age, the revolutions of 1848, they all failed miserably. And so those who held to Marxist principles, those who held to radical uh, anarchist principles began to, uh, to, to think either that their cause was ultimately lost, or they had to come up with some other strategy. There was an Italian Marxist by the name of Antonio Gramsci, who m- may be one of the most influential men of modern history that most people had never heard of. Uh, He spent uh, most of his uh, career actually in prison. Uh, But his prison diaries detailed a plan, a plan for the cultural transformation of society through what has come to be known as cultural Marxism. Uh, But the idea was uh, to achieve the Marxist ideal of radical revolutionary socialism, but, but to approach it through the capturing of what Gramsci called the robes of culture. Uh, by the robes, what he meant was uh, the academic robes, the uh, judicial robes, and the uh, ecclesiastical robes, the clerical robes. His idea was that uh, if uh, radical ideas could be seeded into universities uh, and then into law schools and the judiciary, the media was already, in a sense, radicalized. It had been since the beginning of the French Revolution. And so uh, his idea was that that with the gradual radicalization through the sowing of the seeds of, of wickedness in the universities and in the judiciary, that the media would come along. And he believed uh, that uh, the intellectual aspects of, of the ecclesiastical world, uh, mainline churches, would follow along. Basically, out of a desire to conform uh, to the popular fashions of the day, uh, over time, perhaps it would take two, three, four generations, but over time, the culture could be one. Uh, the means by which the, the engine of uh, this would be driven would be human sexuality, uh, the dis mantling of the traditional home, uh, the, uh, the, the pursuit of uh, open and free human sexuality, the removal of distinctions of the genders uh, that, uh, that gave structure to Western civilization. Uh, so it was a pretty radical sort of agenda. And very quickly, Gramsci found disciples in people like uh, Roger Baldwin, who was the founder of the ACLU, and Margaret Sanger, uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and Emma Goldman, uh, one of the founding uh, members of the Kabul that gave us modern uh, radical anarchism. Uh, the prison diaries of Gramsci were eventually uh, translated and made available by a brilliant Maltese uh, academic who came to teach at Notre Dame uh, in uh, in Indiana. His name is uh, Joseph Buttigieg, who is Keith Buttigieg's father and uh, who's in the Biden administration as a transportation secretary. At any rate, the, uh, the But movement's aim was to uh, win the war for the transformation of culture, not so much through politics, but through culture, believing that politics would eventually follow the culture. So if uh, the sexual revolution could be uh, disseminated in American culture and life, if uh, things like abortion on demand, uh, the idea of uh, no do- default divorce, if if all of these things could be disseminated in the culture, taught in the universities as essential human rights and uh, the, the, the essential uh, freedom of the human soul, if uh, things like uh, homosexuality could be normalized. Gramsci believed that at that point, the Marxist revolution would have been won. And so, essentially, what I tried to do in the talks that I gave were to uh, was to to draw the historical line, show how this sort of developed through things like the Frankfurt School uh, in in, in Germany prior to World War II, between the two world wars, uh, with uh, Herbert Marcuse and um, the the development of the Bauhaus art and architecture movement through people uh, as uh, widely diverse as Pablo Picasso and Salvador Dali and a host of others by marshalling these ideas through the arts and uh, through things like radical postmodern architecture of uh, architects like Mies van der Rohe and others, that, that that would shape the future of Western civilization. And the plan was spectacularly, has been spectacularly successful. Christians all along the way, conservative thinkers all along the way, have been alarmed increasingly by the issues, but they have seen the issues in bits and pieces rather than in totals. This is uh, the, the brilliant opening of Francis Schaeffer's uh, great book, The Christian Manifesto, where He simply said the problem with Christians over the last 80 years or so, and at this point we'd have to say the last 120 years or so, uh, has been that they've seen things in bits and pieces rather than in totals. They've seen things as individual issues, but they've gradually become concerned about things like pornography and uh, widespread acceptance of homosexuality and the dismantling of the family and Uh, abortion, etc., but they've not seen these things as a part of a comprehensive worldview. They've not seen things in terms of the whole. So what I tried to do in these talks was simply to remind people that these things don't come out of the blue. Uh, U.S. embassies all across the world flying the rainbow flag, uh, during the months of June as Pride Month is uh, not something that just happens overnight. It's the end game of a long, long process. So cultural Marxism and the whole notion of, of the capturing of the robes has been in the works for a very long time.
0: Today we're talking with Dr. George Grant. Uh, He is pastor of Parish Presbyterian Church. He also does a lot of other things. He's founder of New College Franklin, president of the Kings Meadow Study Center, founder of Franklin Classical School. And in light of what you just said, Dr. Grant, it's no surprise that these other things God has led you to do because um, Christians have a lot of work laid out before us, and I think maybe in the past we've been a little bit too um, minutely focused, too, you know, what's, what's the next step? And that's important, but, um, well, Jesus is coming soon. We don't have to do anything about working with culture, you know, that, that sort of approach. Um, is that a possible explanation?
1: Yes, I think that's a, that's one explanation. Another part, and that's, that probably characterizes most of us. Um, Most of us have lives. We're losing our families. We're focused on our own uh, local churches. And those are all really, really good things. In fact, those are the most important things. But we've also fallen into part of the trap ourselves. Uh, we've allowed ourselves to be assimilated into a perspective of the world that uh, that fits perfectly with cultural Marxism. Uh, we have been obsessed with our own personal peace and affluence. Uh, we have been uh, focused on uh, radical individualism and then oftentimes when we do respond to the swirl of events around us and the various issues, we actually resort to revolutionary uh, sorts of tactics rather than reformational ones. And this,
2: mm.
1: this is something that uh, is uh, critical for our day. Our call is not to... Uh, enter into a kind of revolutionary radicalism in this moment uh, because all revolution ever does is create division and destruction. Uh, instead, well, our calling is to revolution, uh, as uh, the early reformers declared, super reformed, always reforming. Mm. Uh, our task is to recognize that the work ahead of us is a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, we have to exercise urgency uh, when lives are at stake, but, uh, but we must simultaneously practice patience, knowing that uh, the victory will not be won in a single day. Uh, the, the thing is that uh, we tend to, uh, to stay somewhere in the middle, uh, exercising neither urgency nor patience. And that's, uh, that, that's you know, at the heart of, of the problem. Again and again and again in the scriptures, uh, we have underlined the importance of each moment that passes. It's an ethical imperative to act and act quickly when lives are at stake, when justice is perverted, when the truth is in jeopardy, when mercy is at risk, when souls are endangered, when the gospel is assaulted. But at the same time, uh, the Bible makes it plain that our victory will not be won in a day, however fervently we ask. It will take time, perhaps generations, which is why the... uh, the call of the church and the call of Christian families is to build covenantally across the generations to build for the day that we will perhaps not ever see. That is, uh, that, that is the, the, the great work of reformation. Um, we're to trust and rely on God's very great and precious promises. We're to trust that his sovereign working, uh, will indeed make all things right, and that his uh, good providence will by no means ever be thwarted, though the times are hard and the earth cries out under the burden of mm. wickedness, injustice, and perversion. We have the assurance that God's purposes will not ultimately be frustrated. So we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry. Um, every single one of th- these declarations are stated as mandates, as uh, as uh, calls for obedience in the Scriptures. So the bottom line is, uh, the most important thing that we can be doing right now is our job. Yes. We need to do our job. And uh, sadly, we live in a time when people avoid... Uh, doing those things that they know are their jobs. um, And uh, the the time has passed uh, where that is possible or convenient.
0: Mm, Amen. uh, Today we're talking with Dr. George Grant, and he's pastor of Parish Presbyterian Church. You know, the other day, Dr. Grant, I was, um, well, my aunt, passed away and and my dad passed away prior to that by about a year, and so I, I was visiting the um, cemetery and you see the stones there and the insignias on them and it 's very instructive for a Christian to look at such things, especially when a family has lived in an area for a long time because it it yeah. reminds yeah it reminds you of the faithfulness of God in these former Amen. christians lives and uh they lived their life uh they served the kingdom, the king and his kingdom and uh they did the work that God called them to do and it's just a it's a wonderful feeling to um, to, to realize that uh so you say do your job and um in that is implied, do it well amen uh whatever our hand finds to do right D- to do it with all our our strength
1: yes. You know, before we went on, on air, Dan, you and I were talking, and I just mentioned First Corinthians chapter 12. It's uh, the passage where the Apostle Paul is, uh, is attempting to correct the Corinthian Church's view of spiritual gifts. Uh, they were uh, obsessed, as I suppose every generation must necessarily be with those manifestations of the Spirit that were spectacular. And Paul makes the a, a very ardent point that uh, that's not what spiritual gifts are for, to make some big showing. Uh, that, in fact, every single believer has gifts that come empowered by the Spirit. And that those gifts don't have power in and of themselves. The power comes from God. Mm. Uh, secondly, those gifts are not for us. Uh, my gift is not for me. My gift is for the wider body and for, for the kingdom. Mm. Uh, and therefore, uh, Paul makes this really strong argument that every single gift in the body is essential. None are expendable. Uh, and there is no stratification. All of the gifts are necessary for the proper functioning of the body. When people ask me after having <laughs> read the newspaper or uh, seen, you know, the news
2: on their
1: uh, laptop, or uh, they've uh, they've heard it on the radio or whatever, and they, they keep, they, they're full of distress, I, I point them back to First Corinthians twelve, and I say. You know, the answer to the world's problems is not something that we will necessarily do about Washington. It's something that we will do about ourselves. <laughs> it's it's when we go to work in the full functioning of what God has called us to. And we don't hold back. We sacrifice Uh, today, for the sake of tomorrow, and the next day, and the next generation, and the generation after that, for however long the Lord may
0: tarry. Amen. Amen. Well, today we've been talking with Dr. George Grant, and um, on your website, uh, at least on the church's website, parishprez.org, under leadership, there's a picture of you there with your wife, and... um, I'm thinking that she is, as they say, the power behind the throne. Did I get that right? No doubt. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: There's no question about it. Karen uh, is the one who makes it all possible, uh, and uh, she keeps she keeps me in line, and uh, she is the bedrock of our family.
0: I have a hunch that with any good pastor, that is the reality. That he has a faithful wife who is serving Christ right along with him. And maybe she's not in the limelight quite as much, but without her, uh, everything would sort of collapse. So praise God for our wives who are faithful and who are co-laborers. Um, any Amen. last word to share with our listeners before you go? I should say that you are on the road, you're driving, uh, you're down in Texas right now on a trip, and uh, you fit us I in uh, very kindly. Any last words before we go?
1: I would just simply say that, uh, that we're called to be decisive, determined, single-minded, constant, diligent, and passionate And all that God has called us to do, uh, we're to exercise holy zeal. But uh, we are to endure with patience. Uh, The pace that we set must be steady, because the task that we face will not soon be dispatched, such is the characteristic of holy patience. Our stewardship of time calls for both. Urgent zeal... And holy patience. We must be zealous for that which is right and good and true, but we must also persevere by resting in God's good providence. And uh, so, my prayer for all of our listeners today is simply that they would roll up their sleeves, go to work, do their jobs, and trust that as we do this together, God's work done in God's way will not lack for God's supply.
0: Amen. I want to mention, too, your website that you mentioned earlier. For listeners to check that out, it's found at georgegrant.net. It's common spelling, georgegrant, right together, dot net. And that's where you can get some really good material and, and, and learn with Dr. George Grant. Dr. Grant, thank you for joining us today.
1: Dan, thank you. God bless you.
0: And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.